Well, we made it through the first week of the Smart Marks of Wrestling podcast presented by thesportster.com. On the second week, we've got special guests Greg the Hammer Valentine, the genius Lanny Poffo, and we talk all things WWE on the road to WrestleMania. There's only one more Raw and SmackDown before WrestleMania 35. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of the Smart Marks of Wrestling podcast presented by thesportster.com. Uh, as always, or I guess it's not as always because there's only two episodes so far, but to be as always, Brandon Cohen is on the other line with us. Brandon, how you doing? Pretty good, Jim. How's it going? Good, man. So we are really, really close to WrestleMania. We got like one more Raw, one more SmackDown, I think, if my math is right. Um, this Raw, this SmackDown covered a lot of ground and really sort of shaped out the card, but it also created a ton of questions. There is some news to cover, and we'll probably take a different approach this week and cover it while we're talking about the show. So usually when we get into the Raw and SmackDown review, we talk first about our marked out moments. Oh my God! I'll let you go first. Do you have a marked out moment from Raw? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, both of my marked out moments kind of come from Raw. The first one was Triple H's promo on Batista. It was very, like, old school Triple H. You know, it was, there was humor involved. There was, you know, the brute force kind of, the the, the attitude involved. He mentioned uh, that his mic was dry. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. And then he, he explained it. He said he was doing the job for the envelope that he couldn't get out of his jacket pocket. Like, just in general, it was really good. He called out, like, the, the Deacon Batista bit. The promo that Triple H cut was just, you know, old school, raw. Like, it, it was perfect. It was everything did catch, that... Did you catch a reference to the Spice Girls? Yes, that's... Well, I mean... I'll tell you what was, I want, the, what I really, really want. The wannabe was so good. Yeah. It was, it was fine. Like I, I absolutely, you know, I marked out for it, hundred percent. It's a little whatever that these two haven't crossed paths yet in the ring, and maybe they won't. I don't know if that's something that they're planning on doing for next week. Um, you know, as a final showdown between these two headed into the biggest show and their their match. I'm a little curious to see how Batista will be able to fare, having not really wrestled in forever. The guy looks like a million bucks. If you watch the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, he looks like he's in great shape, and he is a mixed martial arts guy practicing that kind of stuff all the time. So he should be in shape, but he hasn't wrestled in a while. Um, and Triple H is coming off an injury that, that for a little, little while ago left him questionable to even be ready for this match. So I'm not sure how this match is going to go, but if the promos are anything, maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, maybe it's just going to be one of those things. What did you think about the fact that the new stipulation is that Triple H's career is now on the line? Well, yeah, that's kind of one of the news things that we were going to talk about, right? Yeah. So, Batista versus Triple H, I mean, obviously it's a match in itself that people will probably think, I mean, it's probably going to split the fans, you know, some people are going to love the two big names, and it's going to bring a lot of mainstream attention to it. Some people probably aren't going to care very much, because win or lose, who cares in terms of, you know, long-term storylines? It doesn't really matter, right? But when you add the stipulation of Triple H's career on the line, that's very interesting, because then you don't, you really don't know, is Batista going to win? Like, did he come back for one last win? But then if Triple H's career is on the line, then how could he possibly lose? So, it's, again, we mentioned it last week that I, I like uncertainty with these. I like not knowing who's going to win. And, again, I also, last week, I mentioned that uh, I really didn't like Batista's promo on Raw. But then, because he just kept saying the same thing over again. And then the fact that Triple H, you know, called him out for it. 
I thought that was really funny. It was good to to bring a rel- uh, an element of realism to it and not just you know make it oh well he wasn't great on the mic so let's sweep it under the rug. But yeah, with the career on the line, it adds another layer that I think makes it a lot more interesting. And I'm fully invested in this match. Yeah, I don't know which way it's gonna go. I would have first thought you know Batista coming in, he being a one time thing. Triple H doesn't have any much of a fantastic record at WrestleMania. People might not know that, but his win-loss record at WrestleMania is not very good. Um, so I would have assumed that Batista was going to win that match, but now I don't know. When you add the whole stipulation of his career being on the line, when you think about the fact that Batista is coming in as the heel, and typically at WrestleMania the heel doesn't win, especially when it is a one-time appearance by a guy who, for all we know, is not going to be around after this pay-per-view is over. And... For as much grief as Batista sometimes will get, he seems to be a traditionalist in that he probably believes coming in as the heel, if you're playing that role, that you might lose at WrestleMania. So he might be totally fine with it and and come in and this stipulation adds certainty to the fact that Triple H is going to win. But I don't really know that. Um, is maybe Triple H done? Like he's not really been, he seems to come up once a year for WrestleMania and, and has a match, but would it sour on him too much to not be in any of the WrestleManias moving forward? I don't know the answer to that question. So the stipulation is is interesting to say the least. Um, not terribly surprising, but I for the first time in these stipulations, I tend not to know which way this is going to go. It also could be, you know, a very typical WWE storyline where, you know, he's done and he has to retire. And then maybe in a year it's like, well, you know, I'm here. Yeah. Well, my marked out moment is going to be one that probably most people don't care about and he's a hard guy to really invest in but Bobby Lashley I thought was actually the best I've seen Bobby Lashley since he arrived in WWE and it wasn't the whole match it was the end Um, when he fought Finn Balor in a handicap match with Jinder Mahal and Finn Balor won which means he's going to go on to WrestleMania to fight for the Intercontinental title Um, what I liked the most about that was that Bobby Lashley snapped for like the first time in forever uh, he lost his cool having lost the match. He's sweating profusely. He takes it out on the Singh brothers. He takes it out on General Hall. That is the Bobby Lashley who should have showed up from day one. That is the guy that WWE should have pushed instead of this whole stupid sister thing that he was standing up for, <laughs> this goofy gimmick with Leo Rush. Like that, for me, is the Bobby Lashley that can be taken seriously, that should be considered a threat. And that's the guy that we should have been watching from day one. So it's a small thing. Um, and it might not mean anything in the bigger picture of what happens with Lashley moving forward, but um, I like that. That was a, a, a moment for me that I was actually, just those few seconds when he kind of lost his cool and you could just see it in his eyes and he was super mad. Um, that's the Lashley I hope they stick with uh, moving forward. Yeah, when well, you go back to his TNA stint and he was like the cocky heel, you know, he was really good, like really good, both in the ring, on the mic. He, he became that legitimate superstar, you know, top of the card main eventer that people thought he might be pushed and groomed towards when he was at WWE. Obviously, that didn't work out. So I don't think he's going to be primed to be you know, a world title holder anytime soon. And I think that, especially if you have you know, Seth Rollins, if he does come out on top against Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley probably isn't going to be going for the world title against uh, Seth Rollins. And the Brock Lesnar thing would probably just be a regular match if that ever does happen. But he's still, you know, he's got star power. People, they know who he is. They, uh, they're familiar with him from before. And like you said, this is the best we've seen him since he came back. So if we can keep you know channeling this energy and keep him as an aggressive, because he's huge, right? Bobby Lashley is a legitimate fighter. He's huge. Make him aggressive. Don't make him just some wrestler. Yeah. We can't, you, you can't get someone over 
when it doesn't seem genuine. Disingenuous uh, attitudes don't really work with uh, the crowds. And uh, the fact that Bobby Lashley got a reaction like that in Boston is something, too, because Boston, Chicago, Montreal, New York, they're, they're really tough markets uh, in general. So getting over with that crowd, you know, in the way that he did, it wasn't like they booed him out of the building because they uh, they didn't like him. They booed him because he was a heel. Yeah. So I thought that was good. My uh, my other moment was, and again, I, I didn't want to make him my A plus player two weeks in a row, so I'm gonna make him my marked out player. But Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns, uh, that whole thing was great. And as I was watching it, I was going back and forth on who would be my A plus player. So I figured this actually makes a lot of sense as the marked out moment because McIntyre came out and again his promo, he's really good on the mic. You wouldn't have thought so with his first stint and then when he was like three man band and everything, but he's very good on the mic. His character of being this, again, like we said with Bobby Lashley, he's just very aggressive, right? Bobby, uh, Bob, or sorry, Drew McIntyre looks like he can kill you at any time. And yeah. I think that's perfect for what he is because he's big. He's like 6'5", 260. He's got the hair, he's got the look, he's got everything going for him. So having him come out there and then belittle a guy and, and consistently mentioning his family and mentioning leukemia, you know, it's kind of taboo stuff. And then Roman coming out and saying, you know, this isn't from Roman Reigns, but like, don't talk about my family and then attacking him. I thought that was great. It was everything Roman needed to do because Roman isn't the best guy on the mic. But if he cuts a promo that you know speaks to the crowd and speaks to us as fans, then that's perfect. And what he did was it, it was perfect. It was the perfect length. And then I swayed back towards McIntyre again because McIntyre low blowed him. And I thought, man, who low blows a guy that just beat cancer? Yeah, so, <laughs> so it, it was just really good. And for a guy that maybe doesn't need to to go that route, uh, McIntyre is those one of those guys you wouldn't think would need to use a low blow to get the advantage, but uh, but he heel, did it. Right? Yeah, and he did it because he's a heel. Um, my other marked out moment, and for me, this was something I'd found out in the morning of Raw. The Hart Foundation is going to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. As a kid, the Hart Foundation. It was my favorite tag team of all time. Uh, I had two that I loved, the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation. And I, family I, there? Oh, yeah. I loved towards, I leaned towards the Hart Foundation. Brett and the Anvil were unbelievable. Uh, so for them to get into the Hall of Fame uh, this year and for Anvil to get in, uh, it, would be, it would be nice if he had gotten in before he had passed away. But to see the moment where Natalia was in the ring, um, you know, it was a super emotional moment for her. She got to finish her match and then watch the vignette video about them getting in. And it was super emotional for everybody. Uh, so nice to see that. So awesome that the Heart Foundation is going in. I do have a question for you. Are you one of those guys? Because you're a little younger than I am. Are you one of those guys that remembers the Heart Foundation as the Heart Foundation with Owen Hart, British Bulldog, Brian Pillman? Or are you a Heart Foundation guy who says, you know, the Heart Foundation is the Anvil and Brett the Hitman Hart? So obviously I know both iterations because it's before my time. But when I think Heart Foundation, I think of uh, Brett and Jim exclusively. Yeah. So yeah, for me too. I mean, there was a place in my in my heart for the Heart Foundation that had Owen and Brian and and Davy Boy in there, but uh, that was at a time where factions seemed to rule WWE. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't so much about the Heart Foundation as it was about having a group of guys who were Canadian, even though they weren't all Canadian. Um, yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So it was, uh, yeah, that was my marked out moment for me because I am a massive Heart Foundation fan. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I also kind of marked out for it as well. And I love the Heart Foundation. Bret Hart's one of my favorites. It's hard to have watched wrestling or looked at wrestling, you know, back in those days. And looking back on it and not loving Bret Hart, uh, he did both the uh, heel role and the face role so well. And, 
when you look at the uh, the promo that they showed, Bret Hart, I mean, and Jim Neidhart, like the tag team division was so legitimate. You know, it wasn't just uh, a thrown together match here or there. The tag division was the show for a lot of it. And we even had that going into the early 2000s where we had like the the Hardys, Edge and Christian, the Dudleys and all them bringing the tag division back into, I guess, relevancy. But the Hart Foundation was great. And I have two really like funny things that I remember with Bret Hart that were great. Like, you know, the glasses obviously were such a iconic part of his, his character and in wrestling history. And that was there because he was terrified of uh, speaking to the cameras. So he put the, the the glasses on because he could look into the cameras and know they can't see his eyes. So it would just help him. And then who would have thought that that would have helped him you know, become such a huge uh, figure? And then the other one is, obviously, he wears like a pink leotard to the ring, right? Yeah. So with, with, in his book, he said that when he was a kid, his mom had to write a note because there was like a play or something like that. And he had to wear a, a leotard and he was terrified of them for some reason. So his mom wrote a note saying like, yeah, Brett doesn't have to do that. And he's like, who would have thought that I would have made a career wearing a, a leotard at, at that point and a pink one at that? <laughs> so it's just funny. Like Bret Hart, he, he gets it. He understands the business. Obviously, things went wrong for him along the way because of uh, you know, injuries and then being jaded with the company and, and the way he went out. But the guy's a legend. The guy really is maybe the best ever. So seeing him get in again, seeing the Anvil get in and seeing the Hart Foundation recognized, I think that's great. Yep. No, that was awesome. Okay, so those are our Markdown moments from Raw. Obviously, there's a lot more going on. Uh, do you want to cover Markdown moments from SmackDown too, or should we cover the really moments from Raw before we do that? Well, that I don't really have any Markdown moments from SmackDown. I thought it was a good show in general. There, there were some good things that happened, some questionable things that didn't really have an explanation. I think you had one that you uh, that you were a fan of, right? And would that be better set for now or for later, do you think? Well, we can cover it later too, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't... There wasn't anything, you're right, there wasn't anything in, in SmackDown that I, I truly loved. There's the obvious uh, Kofi Kingston result that has officially put him into WrestleMania, but that was, to me, it was emotional, it was awesome, but it was very manufactured. It was one of those things where you knew it was coming, and mm-hmm. it worked out for them, and the fans really got behind it, which I thought was really cool. I mean, Kofi Kingston, this guy deserves this opportunity. He's been around forever and uh, and, and has that coming, so... You could say marked out in terms of the fact that it was an awesome moment, but for me, it didn't really, you knew it was coming. You could predict the ending. Um, You kind of have, the one thing that I really did like about it was the Usos, though. If you watch that match, um, the Usos were part of the number of tag teams that had to go through the gauntlet so that Big E and Xavier Woods could officially win and, and cement Kofi as part of that match. The best part of the whole thing was not actually even wrestling. It was the fact that the Yosos came down. I think it were the third or fourth team um, come down, and they decided that they had so much respect for Kofi Kingston, they weren't even going to wrestle. I thought for a second they were going to lay down. Instead, they forfeited the match, which was even better because they're like, you know what? Kofi and all of our battles with New Day and all of our experience with him as a wrestler, there's no guy that deserves this more than Kofi Kingston. So even though the Usos are heels and the tag team, they took the respect road and the high road and they said, look, Kofi deserves to be here. We are not going to be the team that stands in the way of his ability to go to WrestleMania. We forfeit, dropped the mic and walked out the ring. Um, That was probably the best moment of the whole show for me. Yeah, I like that. Like you said, they're the heels, obviously. But they've always, after the the huge feud they had with New Day originally, they kind of had this mutual respect for each other. And ever since then, they've, you know, whether one team's heel or face, they've seemed to have that respect stick through uh, 
storylines. You know, it's transcended the storylines. So I like that they they went through with that and they said, hey, you know, we respect this guy way too much to say we're going to step in this way. So that was, like you said, really, really good moment. Yeah, no, it was pretty cool. And the fans ate it up like they nobody really knew what was coming up because when the Usos came down to the ring, you thought, oh, man, here we go. Usos, New Day, some classic matches between those two teams uh, going back. I don't know what it is, almost four or five years now that those guys have been fighting with each other and had some really iconic matches that, you know, highlighted the night type stuff. So you thought, oh, man, here we go. All these guys have just been run through three other teams. They're tired. They Biggie just went through a table thanks to the bar. How can they possibly beat the Usos? And the Usos didn't even make it a question. They're just like, we're not in it. We're not going to do it. We're out. And so <laughs> it was just a matter of getting through Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan, which they were able to do. So, um, yeah, that was a really cool moment. Okay, so marked out, done, complete. Actually, okay. I lied. I do have – it's not really a marked out moment, so to speak, because like for SmackDown, because obviously it wasn't – I mean, I'll explain why. Sure. So I, I marked out for the idea of Kurt Angle versus both Samojo and AJ Styles because back when I you know first started watching TNA and stuff and then – uh, when, when Kurt Angle jumped ship and he was there with Samojo and that huge feud, it was a really brutal feud. I loved it. I was I was marking out for it at the time, and I marked out for the idea of this match. And then I marked out for the idea of Kurt Angle and AJ Styles because it brought back so many memories again of just, you know, TNA was always kind of a joke show, but the product wasn't really awful when you look at it. And we look at the superstars they had, they had some really top-tier guys. So, Yep. I mean, we talked about this last week a little bit and what I think, and we disagree slightly, and I don't know if your opinion has changed at all, but on what Kurt Angle is able to do, uh, they worked around it in the fact that Kurt Angle and AJ Styles did not really have much of a match. It lasted all of about two minutes uh, before Randy Orton came in and RKO'd AJ Styles. So uh, that match didn't actually have to happen, which was probably a blessing in disguise for Kurt Angle because he is gassed, he is struggling um, it's a downer in that it took away from the idea of Kurt Angle versus AJ Styles, which people were really looking forward to seeing. But at the same time, if Angle can't go and can't keep up, this is probably the better option because if he's going to struggle, you don't want that last match between the two to be remembered as be like, whoa. Because if you saw that match against Mojo on Monday, I mean, Angle couldn't even pull off a, su- a suplex. Like he just, no, I thought he would land it on his head. You know, thank God he's got such a thick neck. <laughs> that that match was not pretty. Uh, the finish was not what you want. The roll up was a little awkward. Samoa Joe's doing the right thing by giving Angle the rub on the way out, but um, yeah, I didn't want to see an AJ Styles versus Kurt Angle's match that was ugly, right? So they avoided that by having the RKO, um, you know, interrupt the match. But at the same time, um, it would have been nice to be able to see Angle versus AJ Styles in a classic. I'm just not sure if it's possible anymore. Yeah, well, that's why I was saying like it wasn't something that happened, obviously, so it's not technically a SmackDown moment, but it was still something I marked out for as a fan of wrestling, as a fan of, you know, they, they kind of showed, hey, these guys have history, so this is actually a lot more important than you might realize. Yep. Okay, cool. Mark, marked out, done, and complete. What about really? Really? Did you have a really moment from either show? Yeah, I had one from each. Okay. So, and both of them are very, you know, in the same vein. The first one was the beat the clock challenge. Really? Oh, what? I didn't even tell you I was going to do that one too. Okay, go ahead. What was the point of the beat the clock challenge? I have no idea. Rhonda comes out and she stomps, right? It's a minute 25 against Sarah Logan. I, so first of all, beat the, uh, the clock challenges are awesome. They used to be great when it was like on SmackDown. It was, oh, like the winner gets to have a U.S. title match or something like that. It was great. Really cool. First person has a 13-minute match. Next person has a 7-minute match. It was great. 
when the first match is a minute 25 and there's also no reason for why this should happen, it immediately starts, you know, you're like, why is this happening? What's going on? Yeah. And then Charlotte loses. She doesn't get the match, you know, finished within a minute 25. And then Becky wins with like seven seconds to go. So one, nothing came out of it. There's no reason for this to be a thing. There's no stip. No, like, if they would have said whoever wins gets to pick the stipulation, then fine, great. But there was nothing like that that occurred from this uh, the match. Two, what was the point of Becky winning with seven seconds to go? When you know, if you go to the last three seconds and it's a pinfall at three seconds to go, one, two, three, or something like that, then that's great because then there's the stress of it. But they really rushed this. It's like it was probably a last second thing they put together where they're like, how can we get all three of them on the show? There was no interaction between them physically. They didn't attack each other. They didn't fight each other. They just cut little promos on each other. Ronda's promos were lame. And then Becky came out and kind of mocked them, which I thought was funny. But in general, this whole promo could have been gone and nothing would be changed from this segment, like from the uh, the storyline, I should say. Really yeah, weird. I agree with you. The only thing I could take from that is maybe two things. One, they wanted to make it believable that Becky Lynch could beat Ronda Rousey. Uh, so if she beats her in a you know 127-minute finish and she does it seven seconds faster, maybe there's people who walk away going, oh, wow, Lynch really has a chance here. Um, <laughs> but people thought that probably going into this. So I don't think that that really solved anything. I think the other thing maybe was that Charlotte losing and being kind of the third fiddle in this whole thing took away the element of what happened the next night on SmackDown, which was that she won the title off of Asuka. Now, if you watch that show and you know, um, that was totally unexpected. Nobody thought that was happening. Um, there was no indication that there was even going to be a match for the women's title. And Charlotte losing on the night earlier and sort of being the people, the person everybody forgets about, maybe that led into Tuesday and it's like, oh, maybe this shocker on Tuesday we're going to throw at you is even more of a surprise now because you just omitted Charlotte and yeah. Monday night. Maybe that's why they did it. I don't know. But for me... It really, it didn't really solve anything. I agree. I don't understand what the point of it was. Uh, they didn't interact with each other, and the Riot Squad looks like a bunch of jobbers at this point. It's you know, so sad because Ruby Riot was one of the best coming in. You know, they had the next wave being Nikki Cross, Oscar, uh, Ruby Riot, and there was one other person I can't think about who would have been the next like star. It might have been Ember Moon even. Yeah. And then I mean, all four of them. What are they doing right now? Oscar literally just lost the title. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what kind of wrench this throws into her involvement in WrestleMania. She'll probably go into the Battle Royale now. Um, I don't know what this means for the title going into the main event now or what they're going to do. Obviously, there's a storyline that they have, but they've got a week to put it together and sell it. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really strange. So, yeah, that was my really moment, too. Really? Um, the gauntlet or the beat the clock challenge, I didn't understand it. Um, so I, I was with you, too. So... What about SmackDown? Did you have a really moment for SmackDown? Yeah, it was just the setup for Charlotte coming out and saying, oh yeah, I don't bring anything to this match? Well, I'm going to fight for the title. Really? It must be nice just going out there and saying, hey, give me a title match, right? It, it just seemed very out of place. Look, at the same time, I hope that this becomes a not a unification match, but the winner gets both belts. To be clear, I do not want a unification. I just want an undisputed champion, and I really right. want to see Becky Lynch. So that's great. But they really seem to be rushing and putting things together at the last second with these shows. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. I, I, like, if there's going to be a, a um, you know, undisputed champion and somebody's going to hold both belts, I don't know if it's going to backfire on them if they give it to Becky Lynch or not. Yeah, she's clearly the favorite, and people want to see her win the title. 
But there's a to me, there's a difference between giving her the title and giving her both titles. If you give her both titles, it tells me that you are really going all in, pushing super hard on Becky Lynch and almost forcing fans to be like, this is our lady, right? And yeah. so if you give her two titles, are you doing too much? That's what I'm curious about, right? Um, and one, I don't think the main event needed it. Like, I've always been the advocate of, I don't even know why Charlotte's in the match to begin with. Me I think too. you could have sold the main event as Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch, and that would have done just as much as having Charlotte in there. Not that I disrespect Charlotte anyway, but I don't think she was needed for the rivalry between these two. It was heated enough, and there's lots going on. And she's often forgot about it on social media. Like, when you see Rousey and Lynch going at each other, uh, Charlotte's not part of that conversation. So needing her in the match at all, I, I didn't see it. Um, I don't expect that WWE will pull Charlotte out of that match and put her in a title match with somebody else. I would like them to do that, but I don't think they will. Um, so, yeah, I don't quite understand why they did that. And to not, like you said, to not have any hint at it, any intro to it, no reason to do it. Um, where does it leave Oscar now? All that just got thrown away uh, simply to add one more wrinkle to the main event that probably didn't need it. Um, so we'll see. Uh, for me, my really moment was the Vince McMahon explanation of the New Day threatening to quit. Really? Um, I don't know if you saw this or not, but before they did their gauntlet match, all three members of the New Day were in the ring, and he was trying to explain to them why Kofi wasn't getting his opportunity and that he still thought he was a B-plus player no matter what, but he wanted to see if the New Day were a B-plus tag team. So here's what you got to do. You got to go through the gauntlet match with all these other tag teams. If you win, Kofi's in. What he did before that, when this whole idea of the New Day threatening to quit because the glass ceiling was constantly being put in place, they were having to break through it, and they put it in there again and again and again, and it just wasn't going for them. Vince McMahon just brushed off that whole storyline by saying, yeah, you guys were never going to quit. Who are you kidding? Like, what are you talking about? You weren't going to quit. We know you weren't going to quit. And then he moved on. Yeah. So, so all of that stuff that they talked about, which was really kind of cool because it, it crossed that line between you know, shoot and work and what's real and what's not real. I mean, we all sort of knew it was part of the storyline, but it was interesting, right? They just written it off completely now and said, yeah, what are you, who are you you're just threatening to quit. Yeah, who are you kidding? You were never going to quit. You know you're not going to quit. Um, so let's just move on. And that's kind of how they approached it. And I thought, oh, man, what a disappointment. You know, they really could have ran with that and said, hey, here's something we can do, um, whether it's a strike or a boycott or what have you. There's an idea there, a little nugget of something that they could have turned into an idea, and they just chose not to do it. Um, and he had no reaction whatsoever. It was just like, yeah. I mean, they. I don't know if they want to acknowledge it or not, but they could talk about the fact that the AEW exists and people are talking about going to AEW. Why not hint at that? You know, like, yeah, it's not realistic to think that New Day is going to go to AEW, but why not play it without saying it? You know, like, go, hey, mm -hmm. there's an option. There's another up promotion out there for you. There are things that you could do. We get it. We're a little afraid that you might leave. I mean, in the background of all the news and rumor stuff that everybody's watching, they know that some of these guys are thinking about this. Um, so why why not hint at it a little bit? But they didn't. They just dropped it completely. And yep. they, prob they probably will never bring it up again. So that was a, a really moment for me. It was kind of disappointing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, WWE has a tendency to bring something up just for the sake of it and then to never mention it again. So this was, again, just one of those things where it was good. It was good while it lasted. For like the, it was never even really brought up on screen up until they immediately dropped it, right? So it's very weird, but again, very on brand, I guess you could say. Yep. Really? 
Uh, okay, really moments are good to go. A-plus a players where we went last week. Do you have an A-plus player for, I don't know if we need to do one for each of the shows. Do you have an A-plus player for the week? Daniel, you might not be an A, but you are a B-plus. Yeah, I have. So there's, again, it's an A-plus segment. I'll say one person, but Paul Heyman helped a lot for this. But Seth Rollins was my A-plus player. He is just perfectly encapsulating what it needs to be uh, for you know, being the face heading into WrestleMania, taking on the Beast. The crowd is behind him. We, uh, Other than Becky Lynch, we really haven't had a face like this in a while where everyone is so firmly behind them. You can say Kofi Kingston, obviously, but we haven't known that he was going to be in the match up until just now, like up until yesterday's show. So having the uh, the Seth Rollins, you know, people have the, the, the Slay the Beast moniker, him coming out with this promo where people were telling him, please beat Brock Lesnar. And uh, that whole thing was great. And then Paul Heyman comes out and says, you're millennial. And it's the same thing with you. You know, oh, thoughts and prayers. My dog is going to the vet. My uncle Moishka is sick. Whatever he's, it was just really funny. Yeah. And then Seth Rollins chases him down and says, you know, you, you've got it wrong, Paul. I'm not asking for thoughts and prayers. I'm, I'm answering, you know, I am like the, the answer to the thoughts and prayers. And I was like, that's, He's really good. He's just, it was the perfect moment. It was Paul Heyman can make anybody look good on the mic and Seth Rollins doesn't need it. But Paul Heyman's role in every single storyline he's been in over the last five years has been just a one perfect for me. Yep. For me, um, the A plus player is a result of someone trying to make the most out of total garbage. And that is Braun Strowman. Um, (laughs) I hate, hate the fact that Colin Jost and Michael Che are now part of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. But credit goes where it needs to go to Braun Strowman, who is probably going to make it work. Um, they've By adding these two guys from Saturday Night Live, I like these guys, actually. They're pretty funny on Saturday Night Live. But when you put them in a match like this, the, it completely kills the whole idea of this being a serious match with a serious winner. It is now the Colin Jost, Michael Che, Braun Strowman show. And the 17 other people that are going to be in that match around them really serve no purpose but to hide Colin Jones and Michael Che from getting a hold or getting caught by Braun Strowman. He's going to have to sell whatever 10, 15, 20 minutes of, of match action that is to make it work. And I think if there's one guy who can, it's him. Um, he's been treated very poorly, uh, to me anyway, in my opinion, by the WWE. Heading into WrestleMania, um, he's been saddled with this whole co-host sort of you know, what do they call them? Ambassadors um, yeah. for the show. Uh, it's such a waste of Strowman, but there's a guy who could probably pull this off. It'll be him. Um, so <laughs> amazingly, I'm actually interested to see what happens. And I, I would never normally, I would be like, oh, what a waste of a match now. Like, how stupid is this going to be? Um, but for some reason, I want to watch it. You know, like a car crash waiting to happen. You're just <laughs> like, you just want to see what he's going to do. So, that whole 15, 20 minutes of that battle row is just going to be about those two trying to avoid him, hiding behind people, um, and he's eventually going to catch him. What happens there? So, you know, I don't like the idea that they're doing it, but if there's one guy who can save it, it's probably Ron Strowman. So for me, he's my A-plus because he actually made it something that I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, it was. it could have been a really moment, but I think, like you said, at least it's not going to be some stupid one-minute segment. At least it's going to be a match happening around the storyline. So it's going to be the same thing of, like, you know, Cole's going to be talking like, oh, look, Braun Strowman's going after these two. It could be, a, like, an immediate elimination. It could be where they hide under the ring. But at least you don't know now. 
You know, it's not going to be some silly behind the scenes of bronze like running around saying, "Hey, where are they? Have you seen them?" So it, yeah. it, it's better than it could have been. And I don't really care about the battle royal ever, to be honest. I think it's just a it's a waste. It's almost like a curse with the, whoever wins it not being pushed anywhere with it. You know, Big Show's kind of written up TV after that. Mojo Rawley's kind of written up TV. Baron Corbin has gotten lucky, sort of, with having the the GM storyline. But even then, oh, I guess also now he's wrestling Kurt Angle. I, I keep trying to, I guess, repress that. Yeah, still might not happen. But I guess Baron Corbin would be the exception to the the, the Battle Royal. But Gron- yeah, Rob Gronkowski is the most successful person coming out of that that match. Do you think now that he's retired that he's going to show up? Do you see? I, I mean, so. there's a couple names that are out there that just sort of announced their retirements in sports. One, and we can't believe the second one. One is Rob Gronkowski, and he's been a part of WWE before, and there's always been background stories that he might want to be a part of it again. And the other is Conor McGregor, who just sent out a tweet saying he's done with MMA. Um, I don't this could be a publicity be stunt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very possible he's just leveraging something. Um, but well, he had the it, sexual assault thing come out the next day, right? Oh, okay. I didn't see that. So, part. yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to be showing up at WrestleMania, if I had to guess. <laughs> gotcha. Um, one of the, there's a couple of news items we can move on to here just to, to close things out a little bit. One is the Becky Lynch extension, the contract extension. It sounds like she's going to be signing a brand new deal with WWE. Once she has uh, to, she's going to have both uh, women's titles, right? Well, I was just going to say, do you think this affects <laughs> uh, the results of that match, or do you no. think they were going to give it to her anyway? I mean, these things don't come together overnight. Sometimes they do, but usually there's a lot of discussion that goes into it. I don't see why Becky would want to go anywhere else. She's in the biggest company in the world. She's the top star of the company, and I'm not talking about the top women's star. She's the top star of the company right now. When you, if you ask you know anybody who they're tuning in to watch, maybe not one of our guests later, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah, see. <laughs> yeah, we'll open that one in a second. Um, yeah, that that box, that Pandora's box, um, and then. You know, there's been another guy who, you know, at one time was the face of the company. If Becky Lynch is the face of it now, John Cena has been trolling Baron Corbin on social media like crazy. Do you think he shows up? Do you think he's somehow involved in this Kurt Angle Baron Corbin match? He has to show up. Again, I said it last week. I would love if John Cena attacked Baron Corbin and said he did it because of ruthless aggression. And then he and Kurt Angle had a match. That'd be great. I'd be okay with that. I mean, really, can you imagine a world where people want to see John Cena at WrestleMania more than they want to see Baron Corbin, just because it's not Baron Corbin. Yeah. What yeah, a how tables have that. turned, right? Yeah. John Cena, I mean, he he turned things around really fast, too. After his, like, 11 years on top, he left for a little bit, came back, and now the fans seem to be okay with him. And the, you know, John Cena sucks thing is more of a you suck like Kurt Angle. And WWE was smart to market it like that as well. John Cena took it all in stride, and he's really... Again, the John Cena sex of the crowd chances them is more of a. It's some people still believe it, but a lot of people realize, hey, this guy actually was the top of the company for a while. He wasn't bad. We just didn't like the same thing over and over again. So it's kind of uh, endearing more than anything. Yeah, I don't. I don't see how he can do. I mean, he can do whatever he wants, but uh, how he's promoting so much uh, about this match, like he trolled him when he. They, if you saw the image on social media where Kurt Angle and John Cena were first in the match. Together, when he debuted, he superimposed Baron Corbin's head onto Cena's body. Um, <laughs> that was the latest one that I saw. And then he called him, a, I think it was a tire fire or something at one point. I, I just don't see how you're promoting this if you're John Cena with so much going on in your life and other things that you could be doing that you are not somehow involved in the storyline. Um, and for me, and I've, I've harped on it for a couple weeks now, I don't see Kurt Angle as able to pull off a really strong match with Baron Corbin. So somehow you need to twist that narrative and go, okay, 
this isn't going to be a good match. We know it's not going to be a good match. We got something for John Cena. Let's figure out a way to make this work and sell it to everybody and make a WrestleMania moment out of it. Um, so I'm sure that that is probably on. The I figured radar. it out. What's that? I figured it out. Uh, it's going to be a match. It's going to start Baron Corbin, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle is going to immediately get him in an ankle lock and he's going to tap him out immediately. And then John Cena is going to come out and say, hey, we need to give you an actual last match. And then they're going to wrestle. Yep, that would make sense. I'd be yeah, okay with that. Yeah, and I wrote too about that, thinking that, you know what, at that point, John Cena and Kurt Angle, who really cares what that match looks like, right? You're, you've are you got these two guys who started, or at least one guy started with Angle. Um, yep. He's going to finish with Angle. Um, at this point, it's a dramatic, emotional moment that if the match is terrible, you can forgive it. Um, whereas when you've got Corbin and Angle finishing things off, you, you sort of need to have a decent match. So, yeah, I, I agree. That could be one way to go, and it would make sense. Um, and you know, create a bunch of loopholes that they could go through that uh, would leave fans and, and viewers at home happy with the final result. Another one to move on from, Mustafa Ali. Mustafa Ooh. is now gone, so he's now Ali, which to me immediately rings Muhammad Ali, and I'm not right. sure that that's going to last. What did you think of the fact that this is just another guy in a long line of guys where they've taken off names? Now, to this, to credit... Uh, there are a lot of guys that they have removed names from that I also I, I actually have a hard time remembering some of the first names that went with them like Rusev and Cesaro I know it was Antonio Cesaro and stuff like that but some of these Alexander guys Alexander Rusev uh, Alexander Rusev Adrian Neville Biggie Langston, Langston yeah Seamus O'Shaughnessy there's so they, many names they've actually sold them enough Eric Rowan. I'm, I'm okay with the one word names now but this is one of those where I'm like eh, this might not work and I get it why they're work. doing it. You know, he said they took the Mustafa off of there because, at least his comments from a while ago, was that they were booing him because Mustafa was associated to the idea of, you know, of an international bad guy. And fans were booing him even though they didn't know what he was. They'd never seen him, hadn't seen him wrestle. They just assumed he was a bad guy by the name. So they booed him. Um, so he was okay with the, the name. And then he made a comment just this week saying, Mustafa actually means the chosen one, emphasis on being chosen amongst the best of the best so that's why right. he's a little bothered by the name being taken off but it is what it is it's not going to change anything for him can they keep it you know ali can they keep that one word name for this guy i really don't think so and if they do this is the death sentence for him because who how is ali going to be synonymous with anything but muhammad ali and also it's such a popular name in general it's one of the most popular names in the world how could you possibly use this and think he's going to get over if you google ali you're not going to see this guy yep yeah, I never thought about that, but that's very true. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things where he just might get lost in the shuffle now. Um, it, maybe they give him another name or something different, or they give him a, you know, a moniker, character, idea, um, yes. stuff like that. But only in North America can the name Mustafa be considered the bad guy, though. Like, what? His name is Mustafa Ali. He must be bad. North American wrestling fans at their finest, or yeah. at least the opinion of them by WWE's or like WWE's perception of them. Yeah. What about Joan Jett being the performer for Ronda Rousey's entrance at WrestleMania? Do you have an opinion on that one? Yeah, I don't really... I mean, I like it. I just don't know why you're going to give the heel uh, a live entrance. It seems interesting that they're going to go that route because she's very clearly a heel, right? Yeah. But And also, she doesn't like the gimmicks, apparently. She's like, that's been the, the angle now where it's like, oh, I don't know what a beat-the-clock match is, but it's just probably one of your other stupid gimmicks. So if you're going to really bash gimmicks, then maybe you just don't come to a live... Uh, a live performance kind of just come out to the ring like you would in UFC where it's just the song playing. So. 
Well, it was interesting because her video immediately after the uh, announcement was made that Joan Jett was going to do her stuff. If you saw the Ronda Rouse video, she came out on social media and she was like a giddy little schoolgirl. Yep. She was so excited and so happy and so whatever, which Very is the exact opposite. The exact opposite of everything they've been doing with her for a month. So, you know, it's weird timing. Very weird. Yeah, timing. it's crossing the lines, and they tend to do it a lot. And I get it. She's probably legitimately happy that that Joan Jett's going to do it. I'm curious to see whether or not it affects anybody else. Like, does Becky Lynch get her own entrance of some kind with a live band? Does Charlotte get something? Or are they you just want a live band? Oh, just like, you can get anyone to do it. The whole crowd can do it for her. Yeah. Yeah, so who knows what they'll do, but it seems odd to me that if they're only going to pick one of the three, that they pick the heel. But yeah, well, it's that's the biggest act, right? <laughs> yeah, Jet is huge. Yeah, she'll be. Uh, she's probably the biggest celebrity going to be at this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's anything else to cover. I mean, there was the Dean Ambrose stuff. Everybody said he wasn't going to appear on TV, and then he appeared in the main event on Raw. Um, so I don't know if he's now done. That was his exit out of WWE, or if there's still more to come. He's obviously not going to be on the WrestleMania card, from what we can tell. Um, yeah, that's about it in terms of news. Anything you want to add to that? Uh, we're on a few different platforms now. So if you're not, you know, used to uh, listening to podcasts on Anchor, we're also on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. We're working on getting on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. So we'll keep you guys uh, in touch with that as it happens. Yeah, and we are always working on getting this out there. Week number two is where we're at. Um, so it does take some time. To build an audience, this this podcast is presented by the Sportster, so we do have uh, somewhat of an audience there. But at the same time, these things, for the first little while, are always a labor of love. They don't uh, they don't return you huge returns right away. But we have an interview too this week, um, one with Greg the Hammer Valentine, and the other with the genius Lanny Poffo. I got a feeling that our conversation with Greg Valentine might interest a few people. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I don't know if we want to steal too much in there, but let's just put it this way. he we, we called him and wanted to talk to him about the documentary, 350 Days, which if you listen to last week's podcast, we did an interview with the director, Fulvio Cesare, and he talked about the documentary coming out on April 2nd. So obviously, we, Lonnie Poffel and Greg Valentine are both in that movie. Uh, so that was why we talked to them. Um, but Greg did not stick to what we had scheduled to talk about. Um, so if you're interested to see or hear... <laughs> Not only about the movie, but uh, Greg's take on the current product, uh, what's going on in the landscape of wrestling, uh, some of his favorite performers, some of the guys heading into the Hall of Fame. One guy who we now know is not heading into the Hall of Fame, but there were rumors that he would be. Uh, Valentine officially squashed that one for us. So we'll we'll write about that too, but uh, that's an interview that you definitely want to stay tuned for, and that'll be coming up in the second segment here. Um other than that, man, I think we're, we've probably covered this week's stuff. I'm really excited about next week's show, only because we're right right before WrestleMania, um, and there's going to be obviously a ton of news to talk about. Yeah, it should be. I mean, the, the weeks leading up to WrestleMania and the, the first few after WrestleMania are always the, the best time of the year in terms of news, in terms of you know big reaction stuff. So it, it should be a great time for the podcast. And I think we started our, our podcast in general to, at the perfect time leading up to WrestleMania season. Yep. No, it is a good time to be a fan. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Always going to be lots to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Right now we've got a very special guest on the line with us. It is Greg the Hammer Valentine, former WWE performer, Hall of Famer in 2004, I think it was. Before we get started, can I ask, are you still actively you know, participating, participating in matches? Are you watching the current product right now? I'm trying to... To retire from the ring, you know, I mean, I, I do a few matches here and there, and I still love doing it, but uh, 
I'm trying to get out of doing doing um I just do personal appearances, stuff like that. That's what I'm doing right now. Okay. And does that require quite a bit of travel on your part or for the most part do you stick to kind of local where you are? <laughs> well, you know, I'm in Las Vegas now. There's there's uh all the work seems to be I mean, all the conventions and everything are, are around New York and uh that's Philadelphia on that whole northeast area there. I mean I do some stuff in Los Angeles and some stuff coming up here in Vegas, but yeah, I've been going back east a lot. So compared to what it was like in the three hundred and fifty days documentary, which is kind of why we wanted to chat with you today. There, that whole documentary is really about the life of traveling in the 80s and being on the road and what happened to wrestlers at that time. I mean, how big of a difference do you find there is between, you know, travel now? I mean, you're still doing a little bit of it for personal appearances and things like that. Uh, back then, when uh, when you guys were traveling 350 days and, and that sort of stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Well, these guys right now, I can't talk about that because I don't experience, but I know they do a lot of TV work and then they, you know, where they're at the building all day long. So that's pretty hard. But then um, I don't know how much road work they do because they don't really say that on television, you know. So, but I know I could speak to my 70s, 80s, 90s when I was really full time and, uh, there was a lot of traveling, and there was a lot of the 350 Days documentary really, really um, focuses on, I think, more than airplane travel as the car rides we used to take, like three, 400 miles one way, wrestle, and then go back to your home so or your central location. I think that's what the, the, uh, documentaries about it shows me driving a big cadillac at the at the beginning i think it was like a seven seven cadillac or something trying to get that that part of the business because we were we were on the road a lot and uh some guys you know 350 days is maybe a little bit of an exaggeration but not really because we would do double shots on saturdays and double shots on sundays um but it was a lot a lot of road miles in the car wrestling coming back drinking beer uh <laughs> and getting home at four in the morning and then doing the same thing the next afternoon and go somewhere else if you uh if you had a chance then knowing like obviously it was 350 days a year um and you say it's a lot of miles uh, i'm sure there's a lot of miles on your body as well would you have done anything differently throughout your time in the business? Like in terms of, I don't know, they've not had a beer or maybe had more beer or, you know, taken a, a different route around, like have a driver for you or drive yourself. I know obviously rates and stuff were different back then for bookings, but would you have done anything differently at the time? Well, not really. Uh, you know, a lot of times I just go, I would fly into, a, say, they fly us out to California from New York and, and we'd be out there three days. So, we'd rent a car and go around the towns like LA and San Diego and whatever, Bakersfield. And a lot of times I would just rent my own car because they paid for it anyway. I'd rent my own car just to, I like driving by myself because that's what I used to do back in the old days. Except when I rode with Piper or Flair, pretty much I, I, 
I did a lot of the miles by myself. I didn't mind it because I was young. Um, I would probably mind it now, but I didn't mind it. It was all part of the gig, and I enjoyed wrestling very much, especially back in those days when everything was brand new and they were always figuring out some new way to do something on television. And I mean, the whole thing was just, uh, you know, we just kept adding on, adding on, getting, making the product better and better and better. Now the product is so good that it's, it sucks. You, you, <laughs> You talk a little bit about traveling uh, by yourself and then traveling with Piper and Flair. Uh, Roddy Piper and Ric Flair are probably two of the names most known for being on the road and getting themselves into a little bit of trouble. Do you have any stories? Uh, I don't know whether or not you talked about it in the documentary or not, but any stories that you can share from your experience with those two guys on the road? It was just, uh, it was, wow. Flair was uh, crazy and Piper was not quite as crazy, but, uh, we, we enjoyed the company of each other, and uh, we'd talk and, and talk about what we were going to do, what the business, we'd talk about interviews. We, you know, we listened to the music, and uh, as far as the drinking part, you know, that, that was after the matches. I, most of us, we tried to stay, you know, you, you want a clear head when you get in the ring. You don't want to be drunk right, or high on pot or anything, you know. Yeah, I guess it's important to make sure that you keep the other person that you're in there uh, safe, you know, at all times, and that's that's part of the business. Yeah, a lot of guys didn't do that, but I mean, uh, there was a lot of stress. Uh, being that it was fun for me, there was just a lot of stress for a lot of guys because they try to keep a family life. I had a family life too, but I mean, uh, I had a father, Johnny Valentine, that that always told me the the ropes, and he said. If you're going to be really, really successful as a pro wrestler, really successful, you got to make that your number one thing in your life. And your, and I'm sorry to say it, but your family comes second. A lot of guys couldn't do that, and they failed on the wayside, or they lost their family because they were on the road all the time. That never happened to me. I'm still with Julie, 33 years, and. Um, so I was lucky, but it was, you know, I would bring her on the road with me sometimes. But it's, it's a, you really got to love it or leave it. And if you're not going to give it 100%, you're not going to make it. Especially back in my day, by <clears throat> you proved what you, when they put you in the main event, say it was me against Piper or something, they put you in the main event and you're doing all these TV interviews when the house sells out. Nobody has looked on more than the main event. And then that's how you kept your thing going. Oh, this guy draws money. We want him to be in the main event or in Piper or against Flair, whatever. Me and Flair was attacked him against the Andersons. It was all about tickets. I don't know what the hell they do now on television. They just throw that product out. And then they, uh, they really branded the name of WWE rather than branding the name of Greg the Hammer Valentine. So he was sort of WWE out there, and then people, they go because that's what Vince wanted to do, and that's what he's done. Brand the name WWF or WWE. That, you make that brand. Now, it doesn't matter if you got Greg Valentine on the card. They, 
that's half the time now. They come around, you don't even know what the main event is. It's just the WWE's in town. And that's what they wanted to do. So, do you do you think that hurts the product? I mean, you, you had mentioned that you're you're sort of working your way out of the business and, and things like that. But I don't know if you if you still keep up with it. And I, I will ask you in a minute about one of the members that's going to be going to the Hall of Fame this year. But do you think the fact that they brand as WWE more than anything else, more than any superstar that they might have or anybody who's in the main event, do you think that that hurts the product? Or do you think they should spend more time focusing on? those marquee matchups or those main events, those guys that you can really get behind and emotionally invested in? Well, you know, for the company and for Vince McMahon and for all that stuff, I guess it's better for business that they brand that name and just keep pushing WWE because people go, oh, WWE, that's all those guys uh, like Randy Orton. And that. I mean, they'll, they get it. Um, but it's not as it's not as good for an individual, though. You know, what I mean, when I used to wrestle, I'd build my name up, and I I got tired of working for say Vince. I wanted to go work for Jimmy Crockett, and uh, I did my own thing. I did my own bookings. Now you're under a contract. You can't go anywhere. You can't go. Can't go. You know, you can't do anything. Back in my day, at 350 days, we're talking about we were all individuals. We didn't care what the other guy was going to do. We didn't care what the other promoter was going to do. We just wanted our money when we got there. If we drew the house, we wanted our 10% of the gate or whatever we got. Some guys got more. And it's so different. It's so different back then from what it is now. It's all corporate. Everything is handled through the office. You wait for your check when you get home. You get it yeah. every two weeks or whatever. We got paid every night, and this is when I was in WWF too. We got paid every night in cash, huh. no waiting for a check, except for the Madison Square Garden. And when you wrestle there, you get a check a month later. So it's all different. It's all of this corporate crap. Yeah, it's, it's like you mentioned. You know, it's it's more WWE than it is. You know. This guy is on it's the card. It, yeah. It's just a brand and a name. It's like the NFL. The NFL is coming to town. Raiders are taking on the Rams. They don't individually talk about. They they say he was going to be there, but they don't bring up names and stuff like that. And um, Valentine against Hulk Hogan is going to be in Detroit tonight, and then they would push that. WWE's coming to town, but here's the mad matches. Now you don't even, they don't even push the matches except for the, these pay per views that they do every well they do them every month, but the big ones, you know, WrestleMania, you know who's gonna be wrestling in the main events and stuff like that. That's the only that's back to where square one where it men means not just WrestleMania, but it means Who's going to be at WrestleMania too? So that's when the names come in. And so that's back to the old school right away. You try to get away from it, but back to WrestleMania, you know how many matches are there. You know who's going to go in the Hall of Fame. So the names come back back into focus. Not, But I mean, the whole thing was done because Vince wanted to control everything. He's a smart, smart guy all corporate and um but you know what the product's not as good 
I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. The matches I'm talking about, they're not as good. Probably the girl wrestling matches are better than the guys wrestling matches because they're starving to death and they want to be better than men. And they'll never, they'll never reach that. Women want to be <laughs> wrestlers. And it's ridiculous, I think. Would you say that, because I think there's going to be 17 matches on the card this year, would you say that's too many matches to have in one show? Yeah, absolutely. Someone told me, I hear all the gossip and from, you know, different fans that I know or different promoters. I go, imagine WrestleMania is going to be seven hours long <laughs> and it's going to be outdoors. I hope the weather is going to be good because, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, that's New Jersey. It can friggin' snow 12 inches in New Jersey on April 7th, you know? Mm-hmm. You had mentioned that uh, the women maybe were hungrier than the men in terms of, you know, wanting to put on a good match. And this year, the main event is women. Uh, Becky Lynch, uh, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair. Do you have comments on the fact that for the first time ever at WrestleMania that there are going to be women closing the show? Well, I get I got in trouble three years ago when I, did some podcast where I said that all women, they, they should take all the women wrestling off the card. So I can't say that. And I can't say my true feelings. Sure. I guess it's good for everybody, but I don't like watching women fight. Unless it's a cat fight at a bar where they're ripping their hair off. <laughs> I mean, in a movie or something, but to actually, you know, I watched this Ronda Rousey and I guess Roddy Piper endorsed her and stuff. And, you know, she seems to be a total athlete. But I, here's what I, I, I think. I don't think women wrestling draws money. And I don't think it means shit. I don't, I, men wrestling is what draws the money. Uh, the MMA girls, and I mean, it's just, you know, it's like added stuff. But I just don't like it. And it's just. Uh, there should be one match per card if they want to put rest, uh, women wrestling. I think the other WrestleMania I went to in New Orleans, they had a girls' battle royal and a girls' tag match. They, they had like four different matches of women. I could go in there and take on 10 women and beat the shit out of all 10 of them by myself right now at my age. And I'm not talking about setups and faking it out. There ain't no woman can kick my ass and I could take ten of them on. So what 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 good is it? Just ugh, don't get me going on girl wrestling. I don't like it. I think one match per per uh, card is good enough. But I would never I heard there was a pay per view the other day and I was doing an autograph session here in Vegas where um these guys are talking about a pay-per-view that were coming on. It was all women. And I go, you got to be kidding me. And they were excited about it to go home and, and watch this, watch this show. I go, you got to be kidding me. You want to watch that? You know, so, you know, the, the Charlotte Flair, she looks, you know, she's, she's a, a top worker in that, but I mean, come on, you don't need, four women matches, one match per card. That's what I say. And um, that's just my feeling. Yeah. Um, 
fair enough. Everybody's entitled to that. And we'll see, I guess, this year if uh, WrestleMania, with that as the main event, draws the kind of money and return that Vince is hoping that it will. I know Brandon was going to ask you about one of the guys going into the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, so I was going to yeah, ask you, on. you mentioned uh, it's kind of like a solo business where you show up and, you know, you want to get paid and go to the next town. And that's kind of, uh, you know, it's different now than it was then. But you were a part of a few tag teams. And, you know, the Hockey Talk Man is going to be inducted this year. So, obviously, you were in a team with him, Rhythm and Blues. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think it's good that he's going in. He definitely deserves it. He drew, he drew money. He's back from that from my era, plus we were tag team for a while. And they cut that short, but they should move. And um you know, I he deserves it hundred percent. Who else is going in there, Bobby? Well, this year they've got uh, a number of different people. I know that uh, another former tag team partner of yours was maybe rumored to be going in in Brutus Beefcake, but they've got uh, a couple of tag teams. The Heart Foundation will be going in. Harlem Heat from WCW Days with Booker T. Uh, Tori Wilson will be going in. DX, the faction, will be going in. Um, that's just a, to name a few. I think there may be one or two more that they're going to announce before the, the show actually comes at the beginning of April. Okay, the Beefcake is not. That's just a rumor. Okay, that was what we were going to ask you about that. If you'd heard anything or or knew anything I about it, I keep hearing that he's going in, and then it's all it's all friggin' rumor. It's not do you, official. Do you think that he should be up there for a conversation and going in? Absolutely, and I think they should have me induct him. Give me a friggin' payday. You know, I was I or even honky tonk now. So I mean, if they they'd like to do everything the last minute because. If they decided that I was going to duck Conky, they would call me, but then it, it would leak out. It's like the White House, there's leakers. <laughs> <laughs> and it would leak out that I'm going to induct. And they like to keep everything secret, you know, until a week later, a week before. I mean, I've had them, I had them wait. It was on something, WrestleMania or somewhere, and they waited the week before. I mean, I have other bookies on, and I, but I, I got out of them to go there, you know, because that's important because it's exposing everything. But uh, even though I don't agree with everything that's going on, uh, and, and, and a big, a really big thing that's going to happen, I guess, in September is WWE is going to be on Fox. Is that right? Yeah, they've uh, they've signed two big TV deals. Fox is one of them, and it looks like SmackDown will be moving to Fox. Um, so there might be some major changes there. What about USA and NBC and, and their connections there? Aren't they pissed off about that? Nope. Raw also signed a billion-dollar deal for that as well. So they got two like identical billion-dollar deals to put each, uh, each show on two different networks. So they're still going to be on USA? Yes. With SmackDown, and then Raw is going to be on Fox? No, Raw will be on uh, USA still with NBC, and SmackDown will be on Fox. Yeah, so the other way around. Oh, SmackDown will be on Fox. Yeah, it sounds like Fox is interested in more of a wrestling in the ring type of uh, show, while NBC USA is more interested in the soap opera version of the show. So uh, SmackDown, oh, it good. sounds like so is going like, to be that'll be like old school stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think they're they're moving in that direction anywhere where SmackDown is more of the in ring ability and and making the matches the focus of the show, which is really what Fox wants to do, from what I understand. So it fits with the rest of their sports branding. Oh, good. That's good. Well, that's, that's good news. You know? At least I, won't, I can set through a match. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll hopefully 
hopefully be different style of, of watching so that different fans who like different things can get a little bit of, of everything. Brandon, you said yeah, you had one more question there. News. Yeah, no, that is good news. Well, that's good news for the industry because, you know, a lot of times guys think, oh, he's bitter because the industry left him behind. No, I'm still making money up being Greg Hammer Valentine. I'm very recognized and I'm still relative. And to, to hear that and be able to see that, that the old school competition type wrestling matches that I'm from is coming back on the air, that's great. Because, you know, I'm, but anything else, yes. when you mention Greg Hammer Valentine, I am a wrestler. I'm not a veterinarian on the side or I'm not a DJ on a radio station. That's, this has been my only job. And uh, the 350 days is work. I mean, I I think it's good that the wrestlers that are current product now go see that movie so they can see how we paved the way for them, you know? It's actually a good thing you mentioned that too because my last question was going to – it was going to be like a two-part thing. But uh, if you do watch the current product, is there anybody that you actually are reminded of like with yourself when you see anybody? And also, what would you tell them, uh, you know, based off of your experience and based off the documentary, what would you, what advice would you give them to, you know, get back to the roots of the old school wrestling? I don't have any favorites. I used to like Randy Orton a lot, but I don't even know what he's doing anymore. I think he got me. I really was a fan of his. I enjoyed watching him. Other, you know, the big show's always been one of my favorites. I mean, how how's he going to change? You know, he's big and all, all solid stuff. Kane was good. The guy with the uh, stupid hat. Who's that? Oh, now you've got my now you've got my wheels turning. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's the most famous guy out there right now, doing movies and stuff. And um, with a crew cut. What's his name? John Cena. John Cena. Yeah. Well, he's kind of the face of the WWE. WWE. He's, you know, he could do anything in the ring, and he's solid, and he's done a lot of movies and everything, but the main thing is he was solid. The Rock was solid. Those are the guys I, I would put up there that, that can work any era, and they look, they look old school. They got over by doing the old school stuff, like the People's Elbow and, and John Cena's, you know, I... I don't like the fact that he doesn't wear wrestling trunks, but he wears t-shirt and a pair of pants. But you know, it's okay. He doesn't wear wrestling shoes, but what he does in the ring is really good. And um, and it's not overdone. It's not oversold. Randy Orton uh, would be my favorite in the Big Show. Other than that, you know, I'm I get lost in in what all the guys that they got there. Sure. I mean, they have a ton of guys, so that mm. makes sense as well. That Daniel Bryant, that little guy, he's the world champion. I go, oh, my God. <laughs> it's <But> different. <laughs> I, I, I watched him wrestle, and especially back before he got hurt. You know, he, he was different. He, he did really good for a small guy, you know. It's funny you mentioned the, uh, the jean shorts that Cena wears in the ring. And then uh, Randy Orton, because Orton has said in the past that he wishes that he would have done the jean shorts first because it's so much comfier to wrestle in every uh, every single episode. You know, you just go out there, you wrestle, and then you go home. Yeah. So, well, thank, thank goodness some of the guys are looking like, you know, I, 
I I wanted to mention Brock Lesnar. That he impresses me because he's a real deal. He's a really tough guy, and he's went back and forth from MMA to to wrestling. And I, you know, I will when I hear he's wrestling somebody, I will watch him because I know anything can happen. <laughs> he right. Can actually, he could actually hurt somebody <laughs> or they'll try to hurt him. I watched somebody who was arrested, somebody and they were throwing him all over the, these tables and that stuff hurts, you know, you can't fake that. Yeah, when you're that big, you've got to try and make it look believable, right? You can't, you can't just hit them softly with a punch and expect them to go down. But uh, if, right. if you, if you were to give any advice to these superstars today, you said they should all watch the documentary, which, uh, again, we recommend as well. You know, we've seen the first uh, few clips of it, and it's just – it's really interesting, and it, it seems like it's going to be captivating from beginning to end. What would you tell the current wrestlers and superstars today uh, that would maybe help them in their career to, like you said, kind of bring the product back to the old-school vibe? Well, what we've been talking about, number one, slow it down. Don't be doing running back and forth. Make it look like a real fight. Uh, slow it down. Grab holds. And I believe the people aren't going to yell boring, boring, boring because they, they want to watch something that looks real. Just like when you go to a movie and, and you're captivated for two hours because everything you're watching looks so real and you forget, you know, you forget what's going on outside. And that's the way I, I like to see the matches become, where they're just engrossed in watching them. what's going on. They're not looking back and seeing who's going to run out, or they're not looking at the watches. They're really enjoying the matches. That, to me, would be a thrill if it all came, came around. Yeah, well, we, Greg, we won't steal much more of your time. I, I definitely appreciate you coming on to chat about it. Uh, the 350 Days documentary, which you were a part of, uh, is out on April 2nd. So we definitely encourage anybody that would be you know, interested in seeing behind the scenes look at what it was like back then to travel on the road, to be in the car, um, you know, that sort of stuff. It's going to be something that people should really uh, check out. We appreciate you coming on. When we talked to Director Fulvio Cesare, he had mentioned to us, that he was one, you were one of his favorite interviews uh, in that he, he opened up inside the ring and he showed him all sorts of moves and you got really going on some of those stories. So it really was, you were a guy that we targeted and we wanted to chat with about the documentary and we appreciate you opening up uh, about other thoughts on wrestling and the current product and where things are at and uh, uh, appreciate you doing that and, uh, and best of luck with the release and, and your, uh, your future stuff with the wrestling and what you've got going on after that. Cause it sounds like you've got a couple movies and things like that in the works. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys. <clears throat> I appreciate it. Pre I appreciate your guys' honesty and letting me to come on and, and really express what the movie's about because it's it's all real and it's all true. We had a big, uh, you know, a premiere last year where it went around to the uh, different theaters, but I don't know how many people caught it because it got kind of got messed up on the schedule they'd show up and it wasn't on it'd be on the next day so now that it's out on all these different DVDs and everything and and, and uh, all the stuff that's on uh, it's, it's got, everybody's going to have a chance to see it so don't miss it yeah and we appreciate your honesty as well Greg so thanks so much for coming, to, coming on the show okay buddy thank, thanks, thank you guys appreciate take care it.
Thank you. Take care. All right, well, we want to thank Greg Valentine very much for coming on. That was an interesting interview, to say the least. Uh, we've got another special guest, Brandon. Who we got next? Uh, the genius, Lanny Poffo. He is the one of the cast members of a new documentary, 350 Days, uh, a documentary coming out April 2nd. Lanny, how are you doing today? I am the genius, full of glory and renown, still living in the past. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. That is the perfect way to intro you because most fans that are listening to this will know you from that. Brandon is on the line with us. Brandon co-hosts the show. Well, I'm going to let you uh, ask the first question of Lanny here. Yeah, so uh, Lanny, obviously, you know, we're, we're talking to you because of this documentary and we highlighted on our last episode. Um, what was it like for you, like reliving your past throughout the, uh, the making of the documentary? Well... I was very, very lucky that Evan Ginsberg is a friend of mine. He introduced me to the people that were making the movie. And, of course, I agreed to be in it, and I did my very best to answer their questions. And uh, I hope that I gave some insight into what it was like to be on the road 350 days out of the year. Yeah, it's definitely a, a story that might shock a few fans. I mean, we've heard as wrestling fans that, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, things like that, the guys were traveling up and down the road. They were on the road all the time. Was there a time of the year or a time of your wrestling career where you just felt like you were on the road all the time? Yeah, I thought I was on the road most of the time. But now, instead of 350 days a year, I'm off 350 days a year. So uh, I'm 64 years old. And, uh, of course, I have some very nice memories of it. Um, and then not so nice. So I tried to avoid the um, obligatory party after the matches because um, it was hazardous to your health and your wealth. So I tried to walk the straight and narrow, and I consider a lot of the people's excuses to be just that cop-outs and, um, you know, that they were over-medicating and whatever, and some of them are no longer here because of it. And some of them are in financial ruin because of it. But once you get started on that lifestyle, there's no way out. Now, we haven't had a chance to see the whole film yet. We've seen the first couple scenes. Um, and what we were surprised by was just how much information some of these guys, uh, you know, released in the film and what they talked about in their vices and things like that. And you brought that up. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you went with the film, what you talked about? Is there a story that you shared uh, that fans that are going to watch this on April 2nd uh, we'll get to enjoy. Is there something that you can recall or remember from that filming of the documentary that uh, that you were excited about being a part of? Yes, I remember um, Captain Lou Albano. Do you remember him? Sure. Yes. And, you know, he used to get drunk and give a lot of advice. And most of it was lousy. But I remember one thing he told me that I lived with. And he says, Lanny, there's only two things real about wrestling, the money and the miles. Huh. And I said, that is brilliant. The money and the miles. That's the most realist things about wrestling. Nothing else is real. That's the only things that are real. How far did you go and how much money did you get? But in my case, it wasn't how much money I got. It was how much money I saved and invested. Because the rest of the wrestlers, they had a uh, consumer mentality. I had an investment mentality. I think that's an interesting way to look at it, too. Like you said, um, what you make doesn't matter so much as what you save, right? Like what you get out of it at the end of the day. And uh, you mentioned that a lot of people uh, back then, a lot of people in the industry had vices and whatnot. 
Do you think that life on the road now is significantly different than it was back uh, in your day? Well, like tomorrow, I'm supposed to drive to Valdosta, Georgia. It's a four-hour trip. And um, now I've got an iPhone that does all the thinking for me. Okay, so turn left, stupid, you know, and I know, I know I'm going to drive right to the place I'm supposed to wrestle and drive right home. So in that sense, it's better today than it ever was. Okay? Right. So everything's better with my iPhone. Some people say, oh, that's bad that you're married to your iPhone. Well, actually, it's great, okay, because it, um, it helps me do the thinking for me, and I don't need to use my brains. My brains are going to be used to try to not touch another car while we're going and try to stay alive instead of worrying about, you know, navigation. You mentioned in, uh, you know, the, the having the phone helps you up and down the road these days. And obviously back then that didn't exist. You were using maps and trying to figure out your way. Do you have a funny story? I know that in one of the scenes, Bret Hart, for example, talks about how, you know, even the little guys, the midgets were packed into the back on top of suitcases in a van where there were 12, 13 people. Do you have a funny story or something that you recall from your road days that maybe not so funny, but scary, just one of those things where a phone would have come in handy at that time, but you know, something that you remember from traveling at that time um, that you could share with fans? Well, I just remember I just did an article for uh, J.P. Zarka in ProWrestlingStories.com. And, um, you know, I, I relived a little story. Steve Oppen was driving, and uh, we were in a van, and we are going in New Zealand. And uh, very mountainous, and there was nothing stopping us for instant death except sticks and strings. Well, actually ropes, but it looked like spring to me. And I thought I was going to go off the mountain. And of course, they're driving on the wrong side of the road. And I begged him, please slow down. And he laughed at me and he started drinking and he sped up more, you know, because he knew that I was suffering. So I said, well, that's it for me. And I thought I'd never live through this, but I did. And uh, I have a little lesson. Uh, it's better to Take a minute off your life and take your life in a minute. So slow down and don't get your name in the newspaper because it's only for something bad. So when you used to travel, who did you used to travel with and like typically? Well, sometimes you were stuck traveling with whoever. But uh, if I had my choices, it would be people like uh, Tito Santana and Rick Martel and, you know, people that were – that knew that had a good head on their shoulders weren't interested in getting drugged up and drinking and um good drivers do you, do you keep st- in touch oh sorry jim go ahead no 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 go ahead i was just gonna ask i think probably the same question do you still yeah. keep in touch with any of these guys today not really but i see i see them once in a while you see what i mean and uh i just um i'm not too um you know you, they say hey how about a reunion well, every like for example, I'm going to be going to a reunion tomorrow in Valdosta, you know, because there's going to be wrestlers, some I know, some I don't know. And, uh, you know, I just don't want to get in the ring because I don't think the fans deserve to see a 64-year-old man get in the ring with his trunks way up past his boobs. Now, there's a lot of guys that, that uh, maybe don't agree with that. They're still around. They're still in their 60s and 70s wrestling. Uh, maybe I, sh- I should or shouldn't ask this. Do you have a comment on the guys that uh, 
that seem to still be in the industry that are are plugging away in some of the small towns and doing these these shows um, at that older age now? Well, what about a topless, uh, you know, one of those topless dance places and you go on a Tuesday afternoon and the girls that should have hung them up years ago are there, you know what I mean? (laughs) And, uh, you know, but, but Saturday night is where the hot girls are. But anyway, that's about what it is. And uh, when I was young, I used to feel sorry for wrestlers that uh, were older, old timers, and I had to wrestle them. I used to take it easy on them. Except for Lou says, he was still in good shape. But the rest of them, boy, they were past their prime. And, um, but if the price is right, we'll be there tonight. So we're a bunch of horrors. <laughs> so when you think back on the uh, the documentary, do you have any like little tidbit or story from that that you shared that you can you know give us a little teaser on? Well, I recommend that everybody see the documentary because you're going to get something you never get anywhere else called honesty. And I think four of the people that were featured in the movie are now deceased. And I'm thinking about Angelo Savoldi, Ox Baker. Jimmy Superfly Snooker, and I don't know how many more, but uh, that's there's some more. We've got dead people in our movie, isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's it's yeah, great and sad too. I mean, it's one of those things where, and that leads to a good question, I suppose, in that you know part of what we deal with as fans and wrestlers in the industry deal with is is potentially early early death, and part of that could be because of you know, vices and things that they got into at a younger age that they then they couldn't shake, things like that. Are you a little surprised at all by the stories that people were willing to tell in this film? We had director uh, Fulvio Cesare on uh, last week, and he was shocked at just how much information wrestlers revealed when he sat down and talked to them and just how open and honest and candid they were. A guy like superstar Billy Graham talked about all the steroids he took and all the drugs that he took and the women and things like that. Are, are you at all surprised that guys in this business will be so open and candid about what their past was like? Well, I saw the movie, and in my opinion, Superstar Graham was like the star of the movie because he was really compelling and really forthright and very honest. And also, Bret Hart was very, very good in the movie. And, um, yeah, it was. I was amazed how honest everybody was. I know I told the truth, and... Uh, you know, but I think the fans really need to see this and they really need to tell other, in other words, bring a friend with you. When is it coming out? You said June 2nd? April 2nd, I think, is the release. You can pre-order it now on iTunes and things like that. But April 2nd, uh, Fulvio said that uh, people can get their hands on it. What, a DVD or um, streaming? Yeah, iTunes and DVD Blu-ray, I think. Well, I recommend it 100% because especially superstar Graham. When are you going to get a chance to talk to him again? Right. So uh, you said, obviously, like there are differences today, especially with technology and whatnot. And then even back, uh, you know, with the wrestlers that used to be the consumer mindset and they used to have certain attitudes and ways of going about their life. Do you have any advice for any of the superstars today or any like prospective wrestlers that want to, you know, get into the business that maybe you would have wished you had when you were getting involved? Yeah, if you want to get into wrestling, uh, you better make sure you really want it um, because uh, most people, they give more than they take. I'm one of the few wrestlers that got more than he gave. But I would like to say um, in, in a world of pleasure, power, and possession, 
I say go for these three things, health, wealth, and freedom. And um, health and wealth, the health is most important of all. That's why I put it first. Wealth comes second, and freedom knows my name. And uh, in the 36 years it's going to take me to live to be 100, there's two words I'm never going to hear again. Yes, dear. <laughs> well, Lanny, I, I appreciate you, and I know I speak for Brandon as well, coming on to talk about the film. We are super excited to see it. Like I said, we've seen the first couple scenes, and from what we've seen so far, I mean, man, it looks completely and totally emotionally engaging and riveting and something that I think both wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans will really enjoy. So thank you very much for uh, taking some time today and to chat with us about it. I must say I've heard nothing but great things about your podcast. So keep up the good work. Thank Appreciate you so much. It. Thank you very much. Well, a special thank you to Brandon Sheer Cohen for talking all WWE news for the week for Greg, the hammer Valentine who came on to talk about the film, his projects currently going on, his comments on the current state of wrestling and all sorts of stuff. And of course the genius Lanny Poffo for giving us a little bit more in-depth look at the 350 days documentary. That is the second episode of the smart marks of wrestling podcast. If you want to hear this, we are now in rig two and we are rolling a little bit on different platforms. Anchor.fm is where we host the show, but you can get it now on Google podcasts, uh, breaker, all sorts of different platforms. So look out for it there. Please do subscribe to it, download it, share it. Uh, the more that you talk about it and share it with other people, the better off that we're going to be. So we appreciate you doing that. Uh, it should be out on iTunes pretty soon. It's just a matter of time when those things get rolling. Uh, don't forget to check us out on thesportster.com. This show is presented by thesportster.com. We'll have all sorts of articles that go along with this podcast. And, of course, WrestleMania is just around the corner. So we've got all sorts of fun stuff for next week, the final episode before the show. And, of course, the Monday following is always one of the biggest Raws of the year. Until next week, that is another edition of the Smart Marks of Wrestling podcast. 